Now, I had plans uh, today. I talked to Pastor this, uh, this, uh, this past week, and I, had, I was thinking that what I was going to get up and teach on today uh, was the subject of legacy. Uh, it's something that I really enjoy ministering and something I enjoy teaching on. The Bible says that a good man or a good woman leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Uh, and so I love talking to the saints about uh, uh, not being consumers over everything that God has placed into your possession, but to make sure that you are leaving something for the next generation so that they don't have to start from scratch like many of us did. Uh, but, you know, when you uh, sign up to become a follower of Christ and an ambassador of God, and then you become a minister of the gospel, then you realize that you are not there to represent yourself. You are there to be a representative of heaven, that I am on assignment today, uh, and I am not here to preach what I want. I'm here to preach what I have been given. You know, Peter uh, said uh, to the man who laid at the gate beautiful, he said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have is what I give unto you. And the only thing that I can give to you as a speaker is what has already been given to me before I got here. So today, uh, before I introduce the title for today, I want to ask a question. How many of you deal with anxiety, panic attacks, or insomnia due to stress or anxiety? Would you just raise your hand in here today if this is something that you deal with today? All right. All right. So the title of, of my message that I'm, I'm going to be ministering to you is I am done with anxiety. I am done with anxiety. All right. So we're going to start today in First Timothy, chapter four, uh, verse one. I, I'll read many different verses and passages of scripture to you today. Some I will quote in reference as we go throughout the message. I encourage you to pay attention. I am uh, not just a, a preacher, but kind of a teacher, much like your pastor. And so, uh, you know, a, a teacher is like the it's like the pinky finger. And, and that is a teacher is going to get into your ear. So I want to get into your ear today so that God can get into your heart and transform your life forever. So 1 Timothy chapter 4, we're going to begin here at verse 1. It says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. All right, so the Spirit speaks intently. The Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times. I mean, you know, we are living in the latter times. Amen. We are living in the last days. Um, see, the Bible is three things. The Bible is a history book. It is an instruction manual, but it is also a book of prophecy. And so because it is a book of prophecy, it speaks not only about things past, but it speaks about the things that have not yet come to pass quite yet. And the Lord tells us that in the latter times, one way that you will know that we're in the latter times, he says that many will depart from the faith because they have given heed. They've given precedence to seducing spirits. That's all whole message in and of itself, but then also doctrines of devils. Somebody say doctrines of devils. Say it again. Say doctrines of devils. What's so uh, interesting about this particular verse is doctrines of devils really tells us that the enemy does not just have an emotional approach to binding people, but also a very intellectual approach to getting people bound by things that he teaches and things that he believes. And notice these are doctrines of devils. Well, the basic meaning of doctrines is teachings, belief, and theories. So the same exact way that we have certain doctrinal tenets that we embrace 
grace as Christians. Like we believe in, in, in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We believe that the Bible is, uh, is, is God's truth, God's will for our lives. We believe in the person of the Holy Spirit who is not just in us and on us, but is with us and will never leave us and never forsake us. We not only believe these things, but we also teach and share these things with other people. Well, the same way that we have certain doctrinal tenets that we have embraced, there are also doctrines of devils. There are teachings, there are beliefs, and there are theories that demons teach in the earth in order to give people a license to sin, to, for, to miss what the true goal and scope of life is, and get us to focus on other things. And I want you to understand that these doctrines are not just taught in churches, but they are being taught everywhere in the different spheres of influence. See, people are being discipled on many different platforms, not just in churches. People are being discipled in their home. They're being discipled in the schools. They're being discipled through businesses, through media, through arts and entertainment, through government, uh, and even in the medical field. See, any part of society where God is pushed out of, the enemy will occupy that empty space and use it uh, as a pulpit to promote his doctrinal position on things are y'all with me today now in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 it tells us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities powers spiritual wickedness in high places and the rulers of the darkness of this world so watch this no matter how much other people get on your nerves no matter how much they come against you betray you stab you in the back, cut you off in traffic. The reality is that our enemy is not other people. What we wrestle with, what we do battle, who we do battle against is through powers, principalities, spiritual wickedness in high places, and the rulers of the darkness of this world. Now I want you to say this with me. Say principalities. principalities. Come on, come on with me today. Say principalities, principalities. Rule, rule by principles. Man, get, get that in your spirit today. Say that with me. Say principalities, principalities. Rule, rule by principles. All right. So anytime you and I come into agreement with a thought, principle, or philosophy, we come under the authority of the principality and the kingdom that it belongs to. I'm going to say that again. Anytime you and I, even as Christians, even as saved individuals, come into agreement with a thought, principle, or philosophy, we come under the authority of the principality and the kingdom that it belongs to. So principalities need us to agree with their thinking in order to exercise power over us. So, for example, God says, I will supply all of your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. That means that God will supply your need whether times are good or times are bad. Whether we're in times of abundance or we're in a time of recession. It still does not change the fact that God supplies your every need according to not your job, not your education, not how much money you have in the bank, but according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. As long as we agree with that, 
then that means we are under the authority of Jesus who is the head of all principality and the kingdom is free to release into our lives every source of provision we can ever need in our, in, in our life. But if we don't agree with God supplying our every need and we say, well, he does supply, but sometimes that's not the case. Well, now because I agree with the thought and a philosophy that does not align with God's kingdom, then now demonic spirits principalities are able to exercise authority over me in an area that I don't agree with God with. This is why in John 14 and 30, Jesus said the evil genius of this world comes and he doesn't have anything in me. He has nothing in common with me. He has no authority over me. He has no power over me. Why? Because I don't agree with anything that Joker says. Listen to me, Jesus, this is why when he lived his life, the enemy, although he kills, steals, and destroys, could never take Jesus out. The Bible says the only reason why Jesus died is because he laid down his own life. There was one time, y'all remember the time, that uh, they got so mad at him, they decided they were going to throw him off the cliff. And the Bible says Jesus walked through the crowd. How are you able to just walk through a crowd of hostile people and no, one able to, and no one was able to take him out? Because he didn't agree with anything that the enemy was doing at that time. Are y'all with me today? All right. Now, the first example that we have in Scripture of doctrines of devils is when the serpent asked Adam and Eve about eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And what we saw in Genesis chapter 3 is him questioning the word and questioning the instructions that God had given to them specifically. God told them, you may eat of all the trees that are in the garden. It was so easy. I mean, Adam had had a good life back then. He just messed everything up. His wife is naked all day long. That's a good life. (laughs) She naked at work. She naked at home. She naked during all the recreational activities. You got access to all the food you could ever want. The only limitation that you have is don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So the serpent shows up in the garden and says, well, has God said that you may not eat of the trees of the garden? He already knew the answer to this question. He just wanted to see where they stood concerning it. And they said, well, we can eat of all the trees, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, we shall not eat of it, neither shall we touch it, lest we die. And remember, the serpent said, man, you're not going to die. Come on, it's not that deep. You're taking this way too serious. Come on, God wants you to, you know, really, you, 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 there, there's, there's, there's a whole other life out here that you might get a chance to enjoy, but you're going to have to not be so extreme in the things that you believe sometimes. Now, in John chapter 8, Jesus describes Satan as the father of all lies. He, the Bible said, Jesus said that there is no truth on the inside of him. He is the father of everything that is false in the earth. So I want you to think about that for a second. Satan is the father of all lies. So every lie, every half truth, every black truth, white truth, polka dot truth that is in the earth right now came from the heart of Satan himself. Everything that is false, that is not true, that is anti-word, anti-God came from the heart of the enemy. Every false religion. 
uh, every false philosophy, every false way of thinking, anything that goes against scripture was birthed out of the heart of the enemy. And Jesus said he doesn't even have the ability to tell the truth because there is no truth on the inside of him. Now, Satan is not uh, running any new plays. He is really doing the exact same thing with us that he has done for generations of time. And his ultimate goal is to get us to question what God said and to get us to start believing, start accepting, and start prioritizing other things above the word of God. Now, in Genesis chapter 3, the selling point, I have to set all this up before I get to what I'm going to say to you today. The selling point of the temptation in the wilderness Uh, I'm sorry, the temptation in the garden in the beginning was that God was withholding things from Adam and Eve. And that there was something better out there than what they had in their possession at the time. But they needed to abandon what God told them in order for them to get it. And when you think about it, most times... When we deal with temptation, we are battling the temptation because we think there's something out there better than what God has provided for me right now. But in order for me to get it, I have to abandon what I have been taught, what I have been heard, what I have heard, what I have studied for myself in order for me to be able to obtain it. God told you, whoever finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor with the Lord, right? Bible says that a husband will love his wife like Christ loves the church. We know that marriage is God's best, but the philosophies and the thoughts and many of the things that are taught today will tell you that marriage is like a ball in a chain. That you really will stop experiencing and enjoying life when you get married. If you want to have fun, don't get married. Live together. Build a family. Have kids. Do all of those things, but don't do it God's way. The enemy is always presenting there is something better out there. You just have to abandon God in order to get it. See, belief is a powerful thing because whenever we believe something and we receive it, then we start to identify with it. And so we we start to say things like, well, you know, this is my situation or this is my condition or this is my problem. This is my trauma. This is my anxiety. Well, the only reason why it's yours is because you believed it. You have received it. And because you feel like I can't get rid of it, then the best thing for me to do is to learn how to live with it. And now I call it mine. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18, it says, For we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. Because the things which are seen are what? Temporal, temporary, subject to change. But the things that are not seen, they are what? Eternal. All right. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, it says, For we walk by faith and not by sight. All right. So as Christians, we don't look at the things we see because the things that we see are subject to change. But we look at the things which are not seen because the things that are not seen, they are eternal. Anything that you can see, you shouldn't build your life on. I don't have all of my chips on anything that I can see. Not my wife, not my kids, not my church, not any of those things. All of my chips are on one thing, and that's Jesus Christ. 
Why? Because he's the only thing that's eternal. The only thing that, that cannot pass away. People can pass away. Churches can close. You know, families can, can be dispersed. But the one thing you can count on no matter what happens in this life is God Almighty. There are a lot of good people in this world who build their lives on their family. But what happens when their family member dies, they lose everything. And that's why the only thing you want to have all of your chips on is God Almighty and that's it. All right. So we walk by faith and we don't walk by sight. Now, if we're not careful, we can get to a place where we take what what some people call an upside down kingdom and begin to turn it right side up. They call the kingdom of God an upside down kingdom because it seems to do things in the opposite order of, of, of the way that the world does things. In the kingdom, you call those things that be not as though they were. All right. In the kingdom, if you want to be blessed, you need to sow. If you want to be great, you need to serve. If somebody curses you, you don't curse them back, you bless them. If somebody does you wrong, you pray for them. That's kind of the opposite way of the way that many people do it. We are not eye for an eye or tooth for a tooth, but we do something different than the way that the world does. Now, when we have seen so many unbalanced believers over the years who are spiritual but not practical, we can be so turned off by these examples that if we're not careful, we can start to call unbelief balance and wisdom. And the word itself, extreme. I'm going to have met Christians who say things like, yeah, I know that's what the Bible says, but I'm practical. You know, I, I just believe in doing stuff in the natural. And, and I get that. I, I understand. I'm a very practical. If you knew me, I'm a very practical individual. But we can be so practical sometimes that we're not even spiritual anymore. And we call that practicality spiritual when oftentimes it's rooted in unbelief. How practical was it for Jesus to spit in the clay, wipe the clay on the man's eyes, tell him to go his way and for him to be healed? How practical was it for Jesus to tell the man who was paralyzed to pick up his bed and walk? How practical was it for him to take the five loaves and the two fish and multiply it and feed 5,000 men, not including women and children? There are all types of examples throughout the scripture when God did things that in the natural did not look practical. But it was spiritual and it brought about results in the natural realm that we live in today. So anything that stands in opposition against the word of God is unbelief and it is rooted oftentimes in the doctrines of devils. All right. Pastor, how much freedom do I have to like walk? Can I walk down here? Am I still in the camera shot and all that other stuff? All right. Good. Give me the thumbs up. I'm good to go. All right. So the wisdom of God is profound. The wisdom of God is inexhaustible. The wisdom of God is timeless. The wisdom of God is transformative. But one thing that the wisdom of God is not is complicated. If the wisdom of God was complicated, then it would have made no sense for God to send a representative from heaven to tell us, except you be converted and become as little children, you can't even enter into the kingdom of God. And one of the quickest ways to lose a child is to make things complicated. The Bible says when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and they perceived that they were ignorant and unlearned men, they could tell that these men had actually been with Jesus. 
Amen. So the thing about the kingdom is that the kingdom doesn't just work for the scholars and for the theologians. The kingdom works for everyday people, for the average individual, for the person that's educated or not educated, who's successful or not successful. If the kingdom only worked for people who got to a certain level, then when you're down and out, you could never change your situation. But how many of us started way down here? How many of us started in the gutter? How many of us started in such a low place and we have been elevated? Elevated over time because we grabbed a hold of principles that don't just change extraordinary people's lives, but also change ordinary people's lives and make them extraordinary. See, when something is complicated, then it is not easily replicated. When something is complicated, it's not easily replicated. And see, God doesn't just want us to get results. God wants us to understand how we did it so that we can begin to testify and pass on to other people what we have freely received. Come on, Jesus came down here to the earth, man anointed by God, operating on what is known as the hypostatic union, which means he was 100% God and he was 100% man at the exact same time. So he had to manage, uh, he had to manage limitless power with limited capacity and ability as a man. He had to manage the ability to do anything that was possible in the earth to realizing that I'm a man with a covenant and I have to yield to what it is that God is telling me to do. Come on, somebody. He managed both worlds and he did it extremely well. But listen, it would be great if we read Jesus' story. We see all the things that God did. And John says, I suppose that if all the things that Jesus did were written in books, that all of the world wouldn't even be able to contain all the goodness of it. But before he left, he said, the same Holy Spirit that anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, the same spirit that rests upon me, I now leave for you. So he said the same can of whoop butt that I opened up against the enemy, I'm going to leave that same can of whoop butt for all of you all, but it won't just be in one individual. I'm going to give it out to every individual who receives me as Lord and Savior of my life. You'll be filled with the Holy Ghost and passing out whoop butt all over the earth. Come on, somebody get excited in this place today. See, when, when you battle something, you deal with something, and then you come out on the other side, you come out with an anointing. And the anointing that you come out with will now help other people get free. Your testimony will end up becoming a prophecy in someone else's life. And the reason why God does this is because he never wants us to keep to ourselves what we have received as a result of being obedient to him. All right. So let's go over to Hebrews chapter 7. We get ready to, we get ready to dig in. That was intro. That was, that was introducing the subject to you today. Somebody say, I'm done with anxiety. This is a big deal because this is one of the biggest things that Amer this is actually the greatest challenge that Americans deal with today is anxiety. And I'm here today to strip it of its power. I'm here to tell Goliath, you ain't as big and as bad as you thought you were. Listen to me. If you deal with anxiety, you've been having trouble sleeping, you deal with panic attacks. Today is your day to walk in freedom. 
I promise you today is your day to walk in freedom. I promise you today is your day that you will walk in freedom. You came in here one way, but you're leaving out a completely different way. Thomas said, well, when I see it, I'll believe it. Come on. All right, Thomas, you're going to be waiting eight more days. Everybody else. Everybody else is going to get what they need because we sang it in the song. I believe it. I receive it. I decree it. I declare it. It's mine. Anybody grabbing a hold of that? I'm done with anxiety today. I'm not leaving out with anxiety. I'm over it. I'm done with it. I'm stripping Goliath of his power. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in here today. Hey, Caleb Bosha. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 7. Look at this. Verse 25. I'm going to read to you from the Amplified Bible, the classic edition. It says, therefore, he is able. Now, you know, back in the old days in church, you could have a whole service just on he is able. <laughs> he is able also to save to the uttermost, completely, perfectly, finally, and for all time and eternity, those who come to God through him, since he is always living to make petition to God and intercede with them and intervene for them. Now, many of us have heard that I am saved, hmm. sanctified, let's go, filled with the Holy Ghost. But we're going to take it to another level today. You're not just saved, huh? sanctified, mm, and filled with the Holy Ghost, but you are also saved to the uttermost. Come on, tell your neighbor, say, I'm saved to the uttermost. <laughs> now, this verse starts off saying, therefore, he is able. That tells us what is possible, and that tells us what is available if you and I will just choose to believe what's on the other side of it. So, God is able. It's possible. It's available. There's a possibility and there's some availability to be saved to the uttermost if you and I can believe it. Now, you know, when we talk about that we are saved, the word saved comes from the Greek word sozo. And it doesn't just mean to take a trip to heaven, but the word saved means to be healed. It means to be delivered. It means to be made well, to be made whole, to be made sound and restore to health. So if you're someone that's lost your health, be it physically or mentally or spiritually, when you talk about you are saved, you are literally saying, I'm being restored to health again. I am being made well. I am being made whole. I am being made sound. If I need to be healed, I'm healed. If I need to be delivered, I am delivered. And not only does God know how to do it, but he knows how to save to the uttermost. In other words, God wants us to be healed and delivered and saved once and for all. Where our testimony is not, you know, I've been dealing with this for three years. And uh, I've been dealing with this for five years. And, you know, this has been in my life for 12 years. Sometimes I have good days, sometimes not so good days. You know, I've been battling this for 20 years. And, you know, and I've prayed and it hasn't gone away. I've studied and it still hasn't gone away. I've been to counseling and I'm still battling it today. I've gone through so many different programs and I just can't seem to shake it. I believe I serve a once and for all kind of God. That it is possible. Listen, the woman with the issue of blood had the issue for 12 years. And all of a sudden she had 
had one encounter with God and that 12-year issue was over. There was a man that laid at the pool of Bethesda, had the issue for 38 years, had one encounter with Jesus, and something that he struggled with for 38 years was over in a moment of time. I believe that God is not done doing works and bringing deliverance and bringing healing and bringing salvation into people's lives today. If he could set you free from death, hell, and the grave, that he can set us free from anxiety, from panic attacks and insomnia and send you home tonight and get one of the best nights of sleep that you have had in a long time. Am I preaching to anybody in here today? See, God's word touches every facet of our being, spirit, soul, and body. And we need to get back to a place where we stop thinking that the word only works in church. A lot of times, the ideologies, the philosophies that we embrace are taught from people in the world who don't even know God. But you know what I've learned in church? Is that so oftentimes, church people bring into the church what's trending out in the world. And we embrace certain things and receive certain things because it's hot online right now. And we start to ask, like, why isn't the church teaching more on this? And you don't you realize as a pastor, I'm sitting back saying to myself, well, the only reason why you're saying that is because that's trending on IG right now. The only reason why you think that hasn't been addressed is because you're just bringing a hot topic into the church as if the good news and the gospel has never spoken to it, never dealt with it, or your pastor has never ministered on it before. I remind people, I said, listen, I've been at FCC for 19 years. You know how many series I've taught over the years? Just because you didn't hear it in the last year doesn't mean that we've never talked about it. And just because it's trending in the world doesn't mean God has never dealt with it in his word before. See, one of the things that, are, that is really hot right now is mental health. And we talk about mental health today as if God has never said anything in the word for thousands of years about our minds. As if he has never spoken about it. He's never addressed it. He's never said anything to it. God has been talking to us about the mind for thousands of years. But what's happened is that we have exalted mental, mental health. We have put it on a platform that some believers don't even think the word can actually free them from the mental health issues and the anxiety that they're dealing with in their lives. And that's why they will go to natural doctors, but will not go to the great physician for a solution. And oftentimes what happens in the body today is we end up just like the woman with the issue of blood who went to all the physicians, spent all that she had trying to get a solution. And the moment she comes to the great physician, he gives her a solution for free 99. Doesn't cost her anything and she's free for the rest of her life. I want you to say this with me. Say, I thank God for my life, for who I am. For what I have, for where I'm going, and for God's plan to get me there. Come on, say it again. Say, I thank God for my life, for who I am, for what I have, for where I'm going, and for God's plan to get me there. Come on, turn to your neighbor on the side. Turn your neighbor on the side and say, neighbor, I thank God for my life, for who I am, for what I have. For where I'm going and for God's plan to get me there. Come on, turn the three people behind you. Point at all three of them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and tell them today. Say, listen here. I thank God for my life, 
for who I am, for what I have, for where I'm going, and for God's plan to get me there. Come on, you. Come on. Come on. Look. Hey. Who in here is ready to be done with anxiety once and for all? That's about 12 of you, but. It, Oh, y'all don't, y'all don't want it. I, you know what? Let's, let's, let me have every head bowed here, every eye closed. How many of y'all ready to be done with anxiety once and for all? How many of you know, how many of you don't know somebody who is dealing with anxiety, that can't sleep at night, that's dealing with panic attacks, that's battling anxiousness, that just needs an answer and a solution to what it is that they're dealing with? And I'm going to tell you, I love this. I love when science confirms what God has already said. I, I love, when this happens, when science confirms what God already said, I'll just be sitting back. I'll be like, look, that's my God. That's my God. That's my Lord. That's my King. Come on. That's the God I serve. That's the kingdom that I'm a part of. I want you to listen at this. God has given us a weapon for anxiety, panic attacks, and insomnia and it's the weapon of gratitude it's the weapon of gratitude in 2019 they did a study and what they found was that studies have shown that gratitude reduces anxiety and depression in part by optimizing the functioning of the autonomic nervous system as well as those same neurotransmitters involved in anxiety. What they found in the study is that the brain cannot respond to anxiety and gratitude at the same time, which means it is one or the other. You can't be anxious and grateful at the exact same time. You can't be grateful and anxious at the exact same time. You either gonna be full of anxiety or you're going to be full of gratitude. But when God wired your brain, when you turn on gratefulness, you turn off anxiousness. If you turn on anxiousness, then that must mean you turned off gratitude. So if you want to be free from anxiety, from panic attacks, amen, and from insomnia, then the only thing you've got to do is decide to break out the weapon of gratitude. And gratitude will send anxiety on its way. You might be saying to yourself, no, it can't be that simple. It can't be that simple. Well, let me ask you a question. How hard was it for you to get saved? All you had to do was believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. You transfer from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. You go from being a child of Satan to being a child of God. How hard was it for you to receive grace? How hard did you work for it? How hard was it for you to receive mercy? How hard did you work for it? When you need wisdom, all you got to do is ask for it, and God gives it to you liberally and does not hold back. How many doctors and how many therapists are prescribing the gospel of gratitude for anxiety? 
Not many at all. You know why? Because it's free. And we don't always take into consideration that the medical industry is a multi-billion dollar industry. There are good people who work in hospitals and in the medical field. I'm sure there are some nurses and some doctors even in this room today. And we're not questioning their motive. We're talking about a system. The Bible tells us to be not conformed to this world, nor be transformed, uh, not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds that we may prove what is the good and the acceptable and the perfect will of God. And what we don't always take into consideration in America is how much money drives a lot of the things that are done. Both, both my wife's mom and my mom. Uh, went through a, my, my wife's mom dealt with cancer. My, my, my mom dealt with kidney failure and many other things. So we, my wife became the full-time caregiver for both moms. So she was on the phone with doctors and nurses all of the time. When her mom was battling cancer, she'd be in the hospital and, and anybody who deals with cancer knows that if, if one of the worst things that a cancer patient can do is eat sugar because sugar feeds the cancer. But my wife's mom would be in the hospital and they'd be feeding her ice cream. And feeding her all types of sweets. And it's, oh, no, it's no problem. You can eat all of these things. And anybody that has any level of sense knows that's the worst thing you can do because you feed the mother cell. And the mother cell just keeps reproducing in the body over and over again. And what happens is a lot of times we've gotten away from natural, natural, practical, spiritual solutions to the things that we're dealing with. But see, God is the type of God where he made not only our spirits, but also our bodies and put in the earth everything that our bodies need in order to heal. Because the original plan from the very beginning was for man to live forever. That's why the tree of life was placed in the Garden of Eden so that they could eat of the tree and eternity would continue to bring Adam and Eve's body alive as they partook of the tree. That was always his beginning, always his plan from the beginning was for you and I to live a long life. So there are solutions that God has placed in the earth and they are free 99. We have one of our staff members who, whose dad dealt with cancer and uh, his, his mom is, uh, is uh, a naturopath person. And so they got apricot seeds and started giving him apricot seeds. He kept eating those apricot seeds, speaking the word over his life until the man got completely healed. Well, if you know anything about apricot seeds, they've banned them in a lot of places. Why? Because they don't want people to have natural solutions that don't put them, don't make them a dependent upon a system that pays thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars. I will look at my mother's bills, medical bills from being in the hospital. They will be six figures. And I'm saying to myself, who in the world can pay this type of stuff? And again, there's good things that are happening out there, but there are just some things that God put in the earth that he said, listen, if you'll just grab a hold of what I'm saying in this area, you can get this for free. And we've had so many testimonies that have come out of our church from preaching this message. I had one individual who said, uh, I have have, uh, been on on, uh, anxiety medication for years. And they said, I listened to just, just one of the messages you taught on being done with anxiety. He said, I haven't been on the medication since. We had an individual who had uh, had a friend who they, they shared the message with this individual and they had battled anxiety and panic attacks for 10 years. Heard the message and has been free ever since. I had a member who called me last night. Me and my wife were on the phone with him, praying with him because the husband of this couple had a heart attack. 
And they said, Pastor, I just want to thank you for your message on being done with anxiety. He said, because I could feel the anxiousness of, my, of being fearful about my life coming upon me. And they said, I broke out my list and started going through the things that I was thankful for. And all of a sudden, the peace of God came upon me, man, and just settled me in that moment. And when they called and shared that with me, I said, I know this is my assignment on tomorrow is to introduce this message at Ayers Christian Center. And some people are going to leave out free in Jesus name. Say this with me. Say, uh, if I submit to God and I resist the devil, the Bible says he'll flee. The only reason why the enemy hangs around sometimes is because instead of submitting to God, we resist God. We submit to the devil, and then he hangs around. And this is one of those areas with anxiety where we've got to make a decision. If God says certain things, I'm going to grab a hold of it. That's the end of the story, and I'm never going to be bound by it ever again. Now, I'm going to tell you what the Holy Spirit showed me before I, I preached this message first time in Phoenix. What the Lord showed me, he took me back to uh, something I haven't watched in years. As a kid, I used to love watching WWF wrestling. They call it WWE now. And I mean, we were really into it. Me and my cousin, we were the, we were the road warriors. My bro brother and, and his sister, they were the British Bulldogs. And this was back in the day before you could buy a championship belt. We made championships belt out of construction paper and, and uh, duct tape. And I mean, we walked in the room like we were really the champions back then. And anybody who has ever watched wrestling knows there's three ways that you win a wrestling match. You either win it because the opponent got counted out, got a 10 count, or someone uh, surrendered uh, because of a submission move, or they put their finishing move on them and they pin the opponent one, two, three. When God speaks to us, he doesn't just speak in words, he also speaks in pictures. When I got this, this message, this series uh, that was completely unplanned, when it came to me, what I saw was a referee coming in and pinning one, two, three. And the Holy Spirit said to me that not only do I want my people to know how I've wired their brain, he said, but I want them to pin anxiety down for the one, two, three count and be done with it once and for all. Which, so the Lord was saying to me, he said, this is one of those messages where people aren't going to have to work super hard to get freedom. All they're going to have to do is believe it, receive it, and begin to identify with it and it's yours. Amen. I'm going I'm to give you some scriptures. Look at, at St. John chapter 14. I'm going to show you this. This is, is going to bless your world right here. He put this in his word thousands of years ago. I didn't throw this verse in here just for the sake of being able to preach this message. This was in here thousands of years ago. This is a promise for us. This is a key. This is an open door to you and I walking in freedom and liberty. Are y'all with me today? Yeah. All right. John 14, 27. I'm going to read to you from the Amplified Bible, the classic edition, AMPC. It says, peace I leave with you. My own peace I now give and bequeath to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Now, hold on. Stop right there. Do not let. Do not let. That sounds like permission. That sounds like it's up to me whether or not I allow myself to be troubled by the things that I see going on around me. All right. He goes on to say, don't let your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Stop allowing yourselves to be agitated and disturbed and do not permit yourself to be fearful, intimidated, cowardly, and unsettled. You better come on here. Jesus just said that. 
He said, listen, the peace, I have a peace. I'm going to give it to you. The peace that I'm giving to you is not the peace the world has. So because it's not the peace that the world has, when Jesus gives you peace, the world can't take the peace away. So then he takes it a step further. He says, now that you got peace, stop writing yourself this permission slip. Stop writing yourself a permission slip to be disturbed, to be agitated, to be cowardly, and to be unsettled. Stop giving yourself permission to be anxious about the things that are going on around you. I gave you peace. See, most of the battles that we fight aren't fought out here. They're fought here and here. In your mind and in your heart. If you can win the battle here and win the battle here, then you can win the battle out here. One of the things that I share with my church is that the eye of the storm is not external, it's internal. And the moment that the eye of the storm ends on the inside of you, that's the moment that you exit out of whatever it is that you're facing and whatever it is that you're dealing with. These are the reasons why Jesus did things like go to sleep on a pillow in the back of the boat in the middle of a storm. What is he doing? He's modeling behaviors to us. He's letting us know that when you're in a storm, just because you're in a storm doesn't mean the storm's got to be in you. You got to learn how to grab a hold of the peace of God, grab a hold of the promises of God, grab a hold of those things, apply them to your life, speak them over your life, declare them, believe them, and you'll find that the things that he says will manifest in your life. All right, let me take you to another one. Go to Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to show you another one. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 9. (laughs) i love jesus man first four words and and this is the new king james version of the bible it says be anxious oh y'all got it today come on be anxious they don't hear me on this side let me go over here to this side it says be anxious they didn't hear me on that side let me come over here to this side it says, be anxious for nothing. Now, now, hold on now. Why in the world would God tell us to be anxious for nothing if it wasn't possible for us to be anxious for nothing? Wow. He has set us up for failure if he's given us an instruction and a command that we don't have the ability to follow. Notice God spoke about anxiety thousands of years ago. And where God is concerned, he said, listen, don't worry about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. Then he told us how to deal with anxiety whenever we face it. He said, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things of good report, if there is any virtue, if there's any praiseworthy, anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you have learned, and received and heard and saw in me these do and the God of peace will be with you all right so let's break this down so the first thing he tells us to be anxious for nothing that's a decision that's not up to God that's up to you you have to make a decision from this day forward I will be anxious about nothing I don't care what happens I don't care what comes up I don't care what challenge I'm facing what Goliath I'm up up against I refuse to worry about anything and Matthew chapter 6 I will say this and we'll come back to this passage Jesus said take no thought for your life what you're going to eat what you're going to drink what you're going to put on these are things that gentiles seek after these are things that people who don't know god seek after he said but seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and everything else will just be added on to you so he says be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving that means anytime you feel anxiety come on you you need to go to prayer That means if you got to pray about the same thing 107 times before anxiety leaves, that's what you do. 
But notice it didn't just say make your request, but it also said do it with thanksgiving. And this is sometimes where I think we fall short in prayer because we petition God, but we never shift over into thanksgiving. See, when you shift over into thanks, that's when you're saying to God, not only trust that you did it, I trust that it's done. And it's, it's something about praise and thanksgiving. Praise is like an anesthesia. It, it numbs our senses to what's going on around us so that God can come in and take out what needs to be taken out. But it gives us the strength and an endurance that we need to sustain what it is that we're going through. And whenever I would, I really first learned this when I was in Bible school. We had this, we had this class called, uh, we had this class called Praise, Praise Life. And in Praise Life, they taught us, man, how to go in during praise and worship. That praise and worship is not just you singing a song. Praise is a weapon that God has placed in your hands. Amen. Uh, and so we would, I would come to Praise Life. And, and in Praise Life, sometimes we would show up in the chapel. And my teacher, she was about, she was about this tall. Man, but she was full of the word and full of power. And she not only taught praise, she imparted the spirit of it to us as a class. So we'd be sitting in class. And, uh, or I remember one of the, some of the first times we came to class, she taught on praise. We grabbed a hold of what was taught. And uh, there were some times I would walk into the chapel at Word of Faith in Detroit. And before I ever got to class, my classmates would be running around the chapel. Man, they would be going in like class hasn't even started yet. And people have already started grabbing a hold of the spirit of what was being shared. And see, so oftentimes in church, we sit and we listen to what's taught, but we don't catch the spirit of what is being, what is being imparted to the people of God. See, this is one of those messages you don't just want to listen to what's being taught. You want to catch the spirit of what's being shared. So you leave out of here, man, with a spirit of gratitude, a spirit of praise that, that weaponizes you to deal with any type of anxiety or panic attacks or insomnia and also set anybody else free who's dealing with it as well. So there was one time as I came down to the end of getting ready to graduate as a, as a Bible student where uh, I didn't have my last tuition payment. And so I... Uh, I had decided, you know, I had heard if what you have in your hand is not enough to meet your need, then sow a seed. And so all I had to my name was $120. That's what I had. I had 120 bucks, and that was the, the, the last bit that I had in my possession until I got paid. And so I had decided because of praise class, praise awakens and stirs up the spirit of faith within us. And so as I was praising God, the spirit of faith was coming alive on the inside of me. I was starting to believe things I didn't believe before. I was starting to trust things that I didn't trust before. Because when you praise God, you're not praising God for what you're praising God for what he's already done even before you see him do it. So I had decided, I said, if what I have is not enough to meet my need, then sow it, then sow a seed. So I decided to go to the admissions office. And I wanted to find out who still owes money on their tuition. And I walked in there like I owned the place. I walked in there, you know, like, like man, like I had the ability to pay off everybody's tuition. All, all, all I had was $120 in my name, and then I was broke after that. I walked into the admissions office, and I found some people who owed just a little bit left on their tuition. I paid off two people's tuition with my $120. I walked out of that office feeling good, thinking to myself, man, God's got me. It's going to happen at any day now. And so I end up going to class, and you only have about so many days in class where they won't let you come anymore if you didn't pay your tuition. So I'm on my last day in class, 
and I'm trusting God. And the only thing I can do to keep the pressure and the anxiety off of me is, man, taking a lap around the church. Every time I get an opportunity, I'm just taking a lap. Why? Because when I run from me, that represents victory. That represents that God has already done it. Even Abraham got to a place where he shifted out of petition and into praise, where he was firmly persuaded that what God had promised, he was also able to perform. But every time I got into my own thoughts, every time I started thinking about it, man, I would get into worry again. So I had to get that worry off. So I just would just take a lap around the church and I just would give God praise and glory. And I just start jumping and leaping and praising God. Thank you, Lord, for what you've already done. Thank you. You supply all of my needs. I take no thought for my life. When I'm going to eat, what I'm going to drink, what I'm going to put on. God, I believe that. It's David said, I was once young, now I'm old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. I'm doing everything I can to keep that pressure off of me. So I'm in class the last day. One of my classmates turns to me and he says, how much do you owe on your tuition? And I said, I owe about $400. He pulled out his wallet, took out $400, and gave it to me. I went to the admissions office to pay my tuition, and somebody had already paid half of it. (laughs) I said, you... (laughs) Don't tell me what my God came to you. Hey, you better come on. You better come on. So not only did I get what I needed, but two of my classmates got what I needed because I was willing to take what I had and sow it into somebody else's life. Look at this. Before Jesus multiplied the loaves and the fish, what was the first thing he did? He gave thanks. Him giving thanks was like Jesus saying, God, I'm not worried at all about these five loaves and two fish being enough to feed 5,000 men, not including women and children. These five fish and these two loaves are not the meal. They're the menu. You're showing me what's on the menu, and I thank you for what you placed in your hands. See, what Thanksgiving does is Thanksgiving helps you take an inventory of what you have in your possession. Oftentimes, we don't even know what we have because we haven't thanked God for what we have in our possession right now. You think it's not enough, but other people thought that with the five loaves and the two fish until they started multiplying and getting distributed. And then 5,000 men, not including women and children, began to eight and 12 baskets were taken up at the end to pass out to every single disciple that was there. But it all started because he began to give thanks for what he had. Right now, I want you to tell your neighbor three things that you're thankful for. Come on, this is easy. This is easy, Lord. I thank God that you're not leasing out the air that you breathe. I thank you I walked in here today. I thank you I'm in my right mind. I thank you that Pastor Sermon is almost over today. (laughs) I thank you, Lord. I thank you. I thank you, Lord. I thank you. I thank you. Come on. I got clothes on my back. I got shoes on my feet. I took a car here today. If you didn't take a car, I had the money to catch an Uber. I had an er- money to catch, a, catch the bus. I thank you, Lord. I got running water. I got clothes on my back, shoes on my feet, food in my refrigerator. Come on, if I don't have a whole lot, at least I got a little bit. I thank you, Lord, I got a job. If I don't have a job, I got skills in order to obtain one. Come on, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for my spouse. Thank you for my kids. Thank you for my family. Thank you for my friends. Thank you for my church. Thank you for my pastors, Lord. Thank you for my church community. Thank you for what you've given. Thank you for what you provided. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you today. Woo. 
Man. Let your request be made unto God with thanksgiving. And then notice what he said, in the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Then he goes on to say, whatever things are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, good report, virtuous, and praiseworthy. Think on these things. See, the Bible never teaches us to free our minds. It always teaches us to take control of them. And so God says, now, if you won't worry about anything, pray about everything, give thanks to me. The peace of God will guard your heart and mind. But now I need you to have selective thinking. Stop allowing thoughts to just run through your mind and steal things that belong to you. You've got to think intentionally on things that God has established uh, in his word that are true, are noble, are just, are pure, are lovely, of good report, virtuous, and praiseworthy. Think on these things. And then the last thing that it tells us, the last thing that it tells us, stop trying to figure this all out on your own. See, what happens with, with the young generation of today, the young generation today is the only generation that, 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 um, anoints themselves or declares themselves legends while they're still alive. Usually you don't become a legend until after you leave. Usually somebody else calls you a legend. You don't call yourself a legend. And the last thing that it tells us is that the things that you have learned, received, heard, and seen in me do. And the God of peace will be with you. So the last thing that God tells us in order to overcome anxiousness is learn from those who have gone before you. So oftentimes, we will spend tens of thousands of dollars to have people model business principles to us. And we will go to their seminars, we'll spend all the money to learn the things that they've learned, just to model the same behaviors that they've demonstrated. And then you come to a church and you've got great models in front of you, but yet you're still trying to figure out spirituality on your own. You're adding years to your development by not just learning and receiving and implementing what you're seeing and doing in models and examples of spirit of mature believers who God has placed in your church so that you don't have to figure it all out on your own. And that's why Paul said, if you'll just model certain behaviors that I demonstrate, the same God of peace that is with me will also be with you today. Will also be with you. There is a rest. There are two types of sleep that you need. You need natural rest. Natural rest naturally helps battle and overcome anxiety. Many years ago, I started, I decided I was going to get better sleep. And so at night, I wear a sleep mask and I wear earplugs. And I invested in a better mattress so that we can get better sleep. And the first night, I really struggled with the, eye, with the mask and the earplugs because I'm a protector of my home. I need to be able to hear what's going on. So the second night, I put them in, put my earplugs in, put my eye mask on, put my mask on. And then all of a sudden, I hear this knock. Boom, 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 boom. I get up from my sleep. My wife, she didn't hear it. I was the only one that heard it. I get up. I go downstairs. I check the front door. I'm thinking, this is the police. That, that was a police knock. I check my door, there's nobody out there. I walk back upstairs, I sit in my bed, and I'm like, man, what in the world just happened? And remember the Bible in Revelation says, I stand at the door and knock. And the Lord said to me, he says, son, if I need to get your attention, I can. 
Put your mask on, put your earplugs in, and get the best sleep of your life. And the Lord reminded me that he's just different. He's just different. He's the God that cares about all of the affairs that we deal with in our life. The second type of rest that you must get is the rest of faith. I'm going to use that as an example. Ray, would you come up for, for a second? So, Ray, what I want you to do is I want you to just pace back and forth, just back and forth, back and forth, just back and forth. Man, it's just, I want to show you the difference between someone who is in faith and someone who's not. The Bible tells us in Hebrews that there is a rest that comes from faith. See, the longer that you put off believing what it is that God said, the more you keep pacing. Because what happens is when you're not in faith, then that means you're trusting in yourself to work it out. But there is a rest that comes to the people of God. The Bible says the children of Israel didn't enter in because of their unbelief. But the moment you decide to believe, you sit down. And now your soul and your spirit can start to get some rest. Why? Because I don't have to figure it all out. I know God's working on things for me. So while he's pacing, trying to figure out, trying to get the solution, trying to get the steps, trying to make things happen on his own, trying to depend upon himself and his education and, and his life experience and everything else, I'm resting. I'm adding works to my faith, but I'm not doing a whole lot of extra that is unnecessary because I know I'm not trying to work out my calling by myself. Faithful is he who called me who also will do it. So I know what his part is and I know what my part is. And instead of being anxious and, and you getting tired, Ray, going back and forth. This is, this is what happens when you don't do what they sang earlier in the service. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's what happens, man. You working yourself into a frenzy. Keep, keep going, Ray. Come on. Keep going. See, I'm, I want you to see how you look. The, the more you keep telling God, Lord, I got this. Lord, I, I can work this out on my own. God, I'm gonna keep, I want to keep control of this thing. And the Lord is like, you go, go ahead. Keep on doing what you're doing. And the Lord is like, I'm going to just keep resting until you decide to submit, until you decide to yield, until you decide to give it to me. You anxious about a whole lot of stuff that you don't need to be anxious about. Have you considered praying about it? Have you considered giving me thanks? Have you considered giving me praise? Man, you are exerting a whole lot of energy, doing a whole lot of stuff that is not necessary. And the moment that you decide to believe, just take a seat. All of a sudden, the same way that Jesus has rested from his works, you all not of a sudden have rested from yours too. Have a seat for a moment because I want you to see this. Stay, stay there, Ray. I want you to see this because this is the decision that some of you are, still have to make. I want you to see what rest looks like. It doesn't exempt us from our responsibility. It just says, I don't carry the weight of it on my own. And one of the reasons why people are anxious, one of the doors that open in our lives when anxiety and taxes is number one in the natural, we're not getting rest at night. See, when you can't sleep, it affects you mentally. It affects you emotionally. That's why the enemy attacks us sometimes in our sleep, because without rest, you feel like you're in constant battle mode. 
But then also, when you decide not to believe what God said, you got to work a whole lot harder than what you need to. You have a part, but God has a part. If God's going to do his part, then you need to let go of control. You got to let go. You got to trust him. Stop taking it. Stop giving it to him and taking it back. Lord, I get this to you, but Lord, I'm going to take it back tomorrow. Lord, I'm going to get this to you, but Lord, you know, I need to worry about this a few more days because certainly worry is going to resolve the issue. But Jesus said, take no thought for your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to put on. Worry doesn't add one cubit to your stature. I've never gone to a success conference and they gave me 10 steps on how to be successful and one of them was worry about it as much as you need to. Worry is meditation on the wrong information. When we're worrying about it, it's often because we've taken it back from God. The moment you decide to believe is when the rest comes. When the rest comes. Say this with me. Say, I'm done done. with anxiety. anxiety. I'm done done. with panic attacks. attacks. I'm done done. with insomnia. insomnia. 